0: All right, we are talking about the difference between fat loss and weight loss and how you can actually move towards fat loss. And if that is something that is a goal for you in terms of becoming metabolically healthy, why weight loss is not it's, I mean, words are important and weight loss is not the thing. I am a huge fan of the bio optimizers magnesium breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and biscuit. Glycinate and malate, sucrosomial, torate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Visglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness, it helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery, and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is is 500 milligrams of magnesium which i feel is such free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's dot com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. And I often find this to be true in, in the industry that I am. I have a lot of women who come to me and they often will say, Dr. Steph, I want to lose weight. What they really mean is that they want to lose fat, right? They're not saying, you know what, I would actually like to lose muscle. I'd like my organs to decrease and I would like to be depleted of water. They're saying, no, I would like my adiposity. I'd like to change the percentage of my lean muscle mass to my adipose tissue. um, And I would like to be able to, in doing so, hopefully improve my metabolic parameters and uh, my metabolic form and function. So, So we just want to be, and I I bring this up and I start off the our geeky magic carpet ride today because words are important, right? It's like the same thing if someone comes to me and they say, you know what, I just want to be toned. Well, what does that mean? Toned is actually a word that is used to describe neural activity. Are they hypertonic, hypotonic, sympathetic tone, parasympathetic tone, vagal tone? These are when we talk about tone, we are talking about the resonance, and we are talking about the activity of the nervous system, not how you look, right? Um, or people will say, "I don't look bulky." <laughs> you know so um this is why I bring it up because weight loss, the word gives me just a little bit of a tick, just a little bit of a nervous tick. We want to talk about fat loss. And, like I said, people often conflate the two. And I wanted to start off today by actually talking about one of the myths of fat because, and I remember this when I was competing in figure, which is, I always have to qualify this. So, figure competition, not bodybuilding, not bikini, it's like in the middle. And the idea or the accepted amount, you know, the accepted theory at the time is that fat cells never go away, right? So it was just like, you know, you could only ever add fat cells to your body, but you could never get rid of them. And that was, you know, that was just accepted as truth. And I spent many, many hours training for that figure competition. So this was like, kind of just like the jargon in the gym that I was training at and with trainers that I was speaking to. And it's like, the fat cells could only ever shrink. And then they would just lurk in the shadows, right? So they would just wait for the time that you caved and you had a piece of cake, or you had an extra glass of wine, and then they just would fatten themselves up and replicate again. And that's completely untrue. You can completely get rid of fat. You can completely, you know, reduce the amount of fat cells that you have. And we, one of the reasons why I have found most women, and i I often work with women. So I'm I'm speaking from my experience with the ladies that I work with is that there is underlying either internal dysregulation or external dysregulation when it comes to inflammation. And I've spoken about this before, inflammation and stress. It's the same word, just different letters. I use them interchangeably. And when we think about inflammation. You know, you can um, you know, most people can kind of say, "Oh, well, you know, and I talk about inflammation in like three different verticals, like physical inflammation or stress, chemical inflammation or stress, or um, you know, neurospiritual or emotional stress." And th- all of those things can cause inflammation, chronic, subclinical, low-grade inflammation such that you will Um, change the way that your hormone signaling happens, your cortisol levels will increase and you will have a whole cascade of sympathetic tone and sympathetic um, events that can happen when your cortisol is out of whack. Um, So I wanted to, I wanted to just start by saying that fat cells, we can, um, convert them, right? We can even move the type of fat cells. We have brown adipose tissue, we have white adipose tissue and kind of like an in-betweener, uh, beige adipose tissue, but there are certain things that we can do to actually convert our white adipose tissue to our brown adipose tissue and to actually get rid of fat cells. Uh, in there, not, not entirely, but, you know, just to kind of fly in the face of this idea that fat cells can only shrink. And then it's only when you mess up that they get big and puffy. Like, that's not true. So, um, there are many ways that, that can sort of prevent us from losing fat inflammation. Like I mentioned, uh, poor blood glucose, uh, regulation is another sleep deprivation is another constant cardio or constant, um, actually I should quantify that constant steady state cardio or too much high intensity interval training for a woman. I have found these to drive up that sympathetic tone and drive up the uh, the adrenaline and the cortisol and all of these things that are, if you are someone who typically holds weight around her uh, belly and you can't, that you just can't seem to move that, I would probably want to look at your exercise regime and add in resistance training and probably take out some of those high intensity interval training sessions that you were having because you're probably having too many. We've talked on the podcast um, about things like vegetable oils being a source of inflammation and insulin resistance. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, in terms of when we're thinking about fat loss, How we can forgive ourselves for having some carbohydrates because this is something that I have noticed. We have this pendulum that has swung. We went from don't like egg whites only, I'm never going to eat the egg yolk. Shrimp is bad. Anything that has cholesterol, bad, bad, bad. So cholesterol is bad. Fats are bad. And now we've kind of swung the other way into more of the keto camp, which I tend to fall and I tend to eat a higher fat, um, a moderate protein, and a lower carbohydrate diet most of the time. And of course, you've heard me talk about how I moderate that based on where I am in my menstrual cycle, but. What I have found now is that we are so deathly afraid of sugar, and to the point where I have had women that are like, "Oh my god, like I've just completely kicked myself out of ketosis. Like I just had that, you know, whatever, whatever it was, bagel, or had that juice, or I had that whatever, and now I'm out of ketosis, and like I'm such an idiot, and I can't believe I did this." and da, 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 da. And I'm going to say this with all the love in my heart, that the amount of stress and cognitive dissonance that you are causing by beating yourself up that way for eating something that has a high sugar content or a high glycemic load is going to do more damage than the damn sugar itself, girl. Like think about, so when we think about sugar, when we think about, you know, if you're consuming something that is high in glucose, um, um, sugar, um, any any type of sugar, whether it's fructose or glucose or whatever, it is going to have a hormonal response, right? It's going to have a increase. So you're gonna have the glucose and then the hormonal response to that is going to be insulin. Um, so that can be with carbohydrates. That can be with excess proteins as well, right? You're having too much protein. You're also gonna drive up your insulin. Um, but we tend to be like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I'm so terrible. Like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stay in ketosis? First of all, you're going to have to read my upcoming book, <laughs> Shameless Self Plug, because I talk a lot about what some of the hormonal, in terms of your hormonal landscape, uh, why that may be. And I'll be unpacking that as we get kind of closer to the launch of the book. But let me just kind of give it to you straight right now. Insulin is not evil and neither is sugar. And if you if you were to say to me, you know, like I, like I had some cotton candy or I had, you know, I had a piece of cake at the wedding, or I had, you know, some cookies. I just caved. It was like right before my period. Like, listen, your sugar is going to, you're going to take in the sugar. Insulin's going to be high. Maybe you're going to have this postprandial or post-meal, you know, two hour lift in your uh, blood glucose. And then that bitch is gone. You know, the bitch is gone. You know, it's either, you know, your body has one of two choices, right? When you have too much sugar, in the system it is either going to dispose dispose of glucose in the muscle or the liver or it's going to store it as fat but the the emotional uh self um like these the punitive thoughts and the self-hatred and the words that does not stop after two hours because i know you betty i know you bettys that are like this you beat yourself up for hours and days. And then if you're a client of mine, then you know what ends up happening is I end up walking you back off the ledge and actually showing you that it's it, you know, it's just, you know, it's just sugar. It's just one day. We have we are blessed with many, many days to kind of try again and get it right. And on the other side of that, insulin is often vilified, but it has so many roles in the body, other than just moving sugar into the cell. So sugar and insulin are not always a bad thing. So I want to just kind of highlight this and talk about insulin and kind of what are some some of the good things that she does because insulin is like, you know, she's kind of like the, uh, she's almost like the Cinderella, right? Like she's always like in the background, kind of cleaning up in the background, but she helps, you know, our skeletal muscle metabolism. She helps transport amino acids into the muscles. She helps with our bones, right? We've talked about this idea of osteoblasts versus osteoclasts on previous podcast, but I'll give you a little quick mini, you know, back of the envelope review. A blast, an osteoblastic cell is the, the brick layers of new bone. So they are going to lay down new bone cells and osteoclasts are the ones that are taking it down. So they are the ones that are breaking down your bone. And as we age, especially as we age, we want to be considering the ratio of osteoblastic activity that we have to osteoclastic activity. Because if we have a higher osteoblastic activity, then we are going to maintain and maybe even continue to develop bone density. When your clasts, so when you're the ratio of osteoclastic activity outnumbers your osteoblastic activity, then we start to get uh, osteopenia. We start to get softer bone. Maybe even osteomalacia. and then and then of course the 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 one that we all want to avoid is osteoporosis, which is kind of like the pockmarked bone, right? Because the clasts are breaking down the bone faster than we can build it up. Insulin helps your blasts, osteoblasts, um, helps with your thyroid function, ladies. So it helps to convert T four to T3. So T4 is the inactive form. T3 is the active form of your thyroid, uh, hormones helps with, you know, central nervous system health and hormone regulation, right? So insulin and insulin like growth factor, uh, and actually follicular stimulating hormone, they all work to increase estrogen and testosterone production. So this is actually very important for us, especially if you are someone who has low T or you have insulin or estrogen dysregulation, insulin is your friend. Okay. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. A state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com/slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is Sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N dot com slash B-E-T-T-E-R, and use code better at checkout. So I, I just wanted to bring that up because I always find that. My, I mean, the type A Betty that's listening, like I love you so much, girl, because that is I am that girl, and I am still a recovering perfectionist. And for me, when I was first in my keto journey, I was like. God damn it. What is wrong with me? Why can't I stay on this forever? And of course, um, the the answer was that I'm not a man. I'm not a small man. I'm a woman with a menstrual cycle and hormonal needs. So um, some of the things that you can do to help improve your fat loss. So to turn you into a fat burning machine, number one, first, as it deserves to be resistance- training. The more muscle, the heavier that you can lift girl. And I promise you, you will not get bulky. You do not have enough testosterone to get bulky. I was a figure competitor, not taking any exogenous, nothing. Like I was a natural, um, natural competitor and I was pushing. So at my, at my peak, I was doing leg press with nine plates on each side. Like I had beast legs and they were still, still fit in the jeans that didn't stretch, still, still didn't look like you know, still didn't look like the Hulk, even though at the time I was like kind of hoping that I would, but, um, so resistance training, super, super important lift, heavy stuff, women. Okay. So we, and we've talked about how we can cycle the type of resistance training that you do through your menstrual cycle in previous AMAs. Um, I will give you a little quick review here. So I really like in weeks one and week three for your weights to be moderate. And then in week two, we have testosterone peaking in your menstrual cycle. Girl, you are lifting heavy this week. You are lifting heavy this week. And in week four, um, I like things to be a little lighter. It tends to be, if you are going to have some sort of hormonal issue, uh, higher weight, lighter, uh, pardon me, uh, higher reps, lighter weights. And if you are menopause, don't worry, girl, I haven't forgotten about you. You don't, you don't have to do the higher, um, the lightweights, high reps in week four. You just come back to that, you know, higher lifting heavy weights in the week four that we do in week two. So resistance training is a really wonderful way for you to, improve your lean muscle mass, but it also improves, it makes you a better glucose disposal agent. So we were talking about, you know, if your blood glucose is high, the more lean muscle mass that you have, the better it is going to be for your body to be able to dispose of the glucose once it is there. And then once the glucose is disposed of in the muscles, it can't get out. So that's really great. And if you are, I actually really love to take postprandial walks. So if you've had a big meal, let's say, you know, you're really good all day and for whatever reason, like you had all the carbs, all the things, um, or all, you know, just too much of everything. I, one of the things that I typically do around the holidays, but you can implement this like tonight is having a walk After a big meal, just something that is going to engage the big muscles of your body. And I'm particularly talking about your legs. Of course, when you're walking, you're erect, you're working your back, you're upright, swinging your arms from side to side. So I will, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving or after Christmas dinner or something like that, Easter is another one. uh, We will, I will take uh, my partner Giovanni and the kids, and I will either do kettlebell swings with my children. Uh, So I literally use them as kettlebells and I will swing them around, which they love. Or we'll do squats, lunges, push-ups, or just kind of go for a nice long uh, walk. Because what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to drive the blood, uh, trying to drive the blood glucose into the muscles. So resistance training. um, I'm a big fan of fasted cardio. Uh, I know some people are not, and this can, this is a preference, but I, I love the idea. uh, And fasted cardio for me typically happens in the morning. And it's usually like, not like a crazy all out balls to the wall type of workout. It's usually lighter. So I will usually do like maybe a light bike ride. I often will uh, train fasted, although I know that there's some controversy around that, but that's just what I like to do. So I like to train fasted. And then I will often take the boys out, my kids out for, after I wake up early to do my training. And then I, as the kids are kind of getting up, we will go for a walk uh, in the morning. So I do my fast cardio. And then after that, I will, um, I'll refuel after that. So resistance training, fasted cardio, postprandial walks after a big meal. I also will stand for most of the day. So I have a standing, a sitting standing desk. Um, it's from Ikea. It's not that expensive. I think it's the Bacant model. I'm probably saying that wrong, but standing desk. Um, and I sit and stand all day long. So I'm, I'm consistently changing my, uh, my position all day long. And I think that that helps with um, what's known as NEAT, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Uh, And I also, to that point around NEAT activity or like low level um, sub-aerobic exercise, I have a a treadmill, uh, like a treadmill desk that I I will also walk. So I can, you know, I do most of my meetings walking on the treadmill. Uh, my team always, especially when a new team member joins, there's always like a little giggle, like, what is she doing? Is she walking, but she's not going anywhere? Oh, okay, it's a treadmill. So uh, standing, treadmill. And then the other thing that you can do, if you are finding that you are not losing weight is the something called the said principle or specific activity to imposed demands principle so it's worth mentioning this because if your weight is not budging like if you are doing all the things right you are doing the resistance training you're monitoring your calories you've removed markers of inflammation like the internal the external markers you're working on your blood glucose regulation You can use this principle to continue and to uh, continue to lose fat. So this is basically, um, when we talk about the said principle, this is basically adapting to the, like the said principle is to, to say that your body will adapt to the demands that you place on it. So that means that if you are doing the same old, same old week in, week out, it's like that same one program that you've been doing for the last two years, it it may be time to change it. So let's say... Um, in your workout, you were doing squats and then you were doing like a bicep curl or like an overhead press. Well, maybe you want to put those together and make that one exercise. So it's a much more functional exercise. You're squatting and you're doing an overhead press at the same time, or you're squatting and doing a bicep curl at the same time, or you're doing a lunge and you're doing a lateral raise at the same time, that kind of thing. Uh, Another thing that you can do to um to uh profit off of this said principle is to integrate active rest periods into your workout so that might be You know, if you're doing a set of, let's call it 10 squats, then maybe in your rest period, you can, if you're in a gym, maybe you can hop on a, hop on a treadmill and like run as fast as you can for like 30 seconds, uh, or jump on a bike and do the same thing or do jumping jacks, like as many jumping jacks as you can punch out in a minute. So that these rest periods are that you are using the muscle in a different way and you are driving up your heart rate. Uh, Other ways that you can uh, profit off the said principle, go outside, get some fresh air, change your center of gravity. This is actually why I love kettlebells so much because they change the way that you, if you do a lunge, for example, with a dumbbell versus a lunge with a kettlebell, it is going to change things up for you. And uh, another thing that you can do to kind of shake things up is work out at a different time of day, right? So if you are always used to working out at 5am or 6am, maybe you want to change it up to work out in the you know early evening um, or something or maybe over your lunch hour. Or if it's, uh, if it you know if it's afforded to you, maybe you can do something like at four, two to four in the afternoon. That's a great time because so many people have energetic slumps during that time. So if you're able to, you know, nip away from the office, especially so many people are doing working remotely now, this may be a really great time. And I actually really love. After lunch, as a great time to work out because your core body temperature has increased, your joints are lubricated. You've been using your joints, hopefully, before two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, So they're nice and lubricated, lower incidence of injury when you're training in the afternoon. And then, of course, as we lead up to the evening, for most people, dinner is like the biggest caloric intake or the biggest energetic intake over the course of the day. So if you've just done like a really great workout between like two and four o'clock, like that six o'clock or seven o'clock dinner is gonna be extra, extra sweet. And then the last little thing I will offer here in terms of ways that you can upregulate your fat loss is cold exposure. And, you know, I've mentioned this before in terms of brown adipose tissue versus white adipose tissue. We have different kinds of fat. They're not all just poofy, fluffy. You know, it's not just like an inert thing that we can like jiggle around. Uh, Brown adipose tissue actually is involved in the shivering response. Uh, And we have uh, mitochondria there, which gives it its brownish color. Um, And when you are exposed exposing yourself to cold. Now I know that this can be a little uncomfortable here, but you know, Betty, you can do uncomfortable things. Uh, cold exposure can be like a cold shower. Like you take a nice hot shower and then the last 30 seconds is like no heat. Um, I live in Toronto, Canada, so I get, I get a proper winter. So I will take the kids out and the kids think this is hilarious. Like I'll put on a bikini and we will go outside in the backyard, uh, in the morning is when it's like extra cold and we will stay out there for like two, three, four, you know, in like five minutes and like my kid will get, um, uh, one of my sons will get a timer to see like how long I can stay out there. And the point is to shiver. Like that's what I'm trying to do, right? Trying to get that brown adipose tissue activated and to convert my white adipose tissue to brown. So cold exposure is, uh, like kind of an underutilized free for most people. Like if you have a shower, you can be performing cryotherapy, that is such a powerful way to be amplifying and upregulating your um, fat burning capacity. So this has been like a little extra geeky. So I hope that you have enjoyed this. And if you are, please rate or review the pod wherever you listen to it. And we will see you next week, Betty. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast, and I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare providers' advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media, and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.